Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. You can find out more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Danielle Peebles. She's a chiropractor, owner of Pro Health Family Chiropractic. She's also an author, and her book is called Sex Sent Me to the Chiropractor. Definitely got to ask her about that one. So <laughs> she's also a speaker. I'm looking forward to finding out more about her speaking topics, the motivation for writing her book, and what made her decide to become a, a chiropractor. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Dr. Peebles. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So from the bit of research I did on you, I saw that you got a degree in chemistry. What was the motivation to get that degree? Well, since I was a young girl, I was always on the path to become a medical doctor. My dreams were to become a neurosurgeon as I continued to learn more about the medical field. So I was on this blazing path to become a neurosurgeon. And then right at the end of my junior year in undergrad, going into senior year, I had an opportunity that eventually changed the trajectory of my whole doctor journey and shifting it from the medical field to the chiropractic profession. Oh, okay. What, what, was, what was that change? So there is, I'm not sure if it still is in existence at this time, but as a student at St. Louis University on the undergrad campus, I had set down some roots with other departments there on the campus. Well, there was someone who had met me one time that was obviously impressed by me where he was in a meeting for a program that the St. Louis U Med Campus hosted every summer summer called, well, I don't recall what it was called, but it was a summer enrichment program for high school students who aspire to be medical doctors. Usually they have second year med students to run this program, but this particular year they could only find one second year med student to do the program. So they were on a hunt for a second person. Mr. Brown suggested me but I was an undergrad at the time and they actually were not very happy. They were like, yeah, we're not crazy about the idea because she may not be mature enough. However, I proved myself and they really loved what I was able to bring to the table. Now, I don't know if they continue to bring in other undergrads or not, but that opportunity allowed me to have a sit down with the wife of the Dean of Office Multicultural Affairs. And she asked me, she said, Danielle, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was all proud. I said, yes, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. And then she asked me a very important question. And it was at a very key time that she asked me this. She said, do you want to have a family? The reason that was a key time was because my value system was starting to shift. When I first started undergrad, my value system was career than family. But now that I'm graduating, my value system has shifted and now it was family and then career. So by her asking me this, I was like, yes, I want to be a neurosurgeon. She said, well, do you realize how much time you're going to have to commit? Yeah, I do. I do. And then she says, okay, just think about it. And I, 
she said, have you ever thought about being a chiropractor? I was like, well, my back does hurt, but I never thought about being a chiropractor. Seeing, but not being. And she said, well, I'm going to introduce you to someone. I started doing my research. I met with the person and I was on fire because it was still in the realm of neurology. So I was on fire that I could still have an impact and be a part of the nervous system and still have flexibility, more flexibility on my time. So I just continued burning in that plate and that particular trajectory, doors were opening left and right. So here I am. <laughs> the whole time you were talking, Dr. Peebles, I was laughing in my head because I can, I can imagine people that eventually see or, or listen to this interview and their heads might be exploding because they'll think that this woman took you off the path of being a neurosurgeon and there's so few female neurosurgeons, so we need all the female neurosurgeons that we can get. But the way you described it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you have to go through medical school. Then I think you have to do a residency. Then you have to, you know, do your, I guess, what's, what comes after residency? Fellowships. Sort of, right. Fellowship. Like, it's just years of school. And so if your idea is actually, you know, having a family is, is your number one priority, then that's really going to be difficult if you're doing all these years of schooling. And I, I suspect chiropractic, how long, does chiropr how long does it take to become a chiropractor? So I had my... I did my four years for my undergrad, and then it actually is for five-year program, but depend on how you navigate the program, you can get it done in three and a third year, but usually it is a five-year program if you go summer, fall, summer, fall. Okay, so that's still less than it would take. To but not summer, fall, neuro... but fall, spring. That's still less than it would take to become a neurosurgeon. That's 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 for sure. So And the up. other thing is... <laughs> Being who I am, I wanted to do the hardest surgery. So I was going to be there forever. <laughs> yes, that's another thing. <laughs> Neurosurgery is one of the more difficult, uh, I guess, specialties to do. That's, that's absolutely true. I mean, I used to work in medical devices in spinal, in spinal implants. So we used to have to talk to neurosurgeons all the time because they would actually be implanting implants in, into people. And yeah, it, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. So now, so you get a degree, you, 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 go through, you get through the chiropractic school, so now you're a, you're a chiropractor. So when it comes to being a chiropractor, what do people typically come to you for? Well, initially, my patient will come to me for aches and pains or an accident. But once they become a patient, they become a student. They don't know that. They become my student. Every opportunity that I have with a anyone, especially my patient, it is an, is a learning opportunity. So I'm teaching them so much about their bodies and how their pain is actually related to these other symptoms that they thought worked independently. So as I teach them more about how their body works and then teach them how to be confident in what they know is going on with their body, they're able to be better at com communicating it to others and then that drives the people in for a different reason now. Yes, I'm in pain, but I am also having these really bad sinus headaches or I'm pregnant. Can I come in? So now they know how to communicate more than just pain for me, what I treat in my office. Okay. So if you're someone who is interested in seeing a chiropractor, what sort of criteria should you use to, I guess, determine which chiropractor to go see? One, start with those who have attended or who have seen a chiropractor. That's one way. If you're in a town with a college nearby, stop by and ask questions. Do your research. There are so many different techniques out there. 
a lot of people tend to associate the manual adjusting. Yes, we were founded with man manual adjusting. Every single one of us are taught how to adjust with our hands. That's day one. That's the number one technique that I learned in school was how to adjust or realign the spine using my hands. But in addition to that, we have over 200 techniques that we can use that can line that, adjust, line that spine up. You just have to ask your chiropractor what techniques do they use. So if you have a little bit of apprehension about the popping or the cracking, as people so lovely use to describe what we do, then ask them, is there an alternative? You have to talk to the chiropractor. So interview them. It's almost like dating. Ask them, okay, what do you do? Is there something different? Is that my only option? And then don't only stop there. Get a second opinion. Go find someone else and then decide. Oh, I, did, I had no clue that there was alternatives out to the, the, the popping and the cracking. I thought that was the whole deal. <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> I know what TikTok shows you. I know what YouTube shows No. I myself, I do manually adjust, but I specialize in a different technique. Okay, interesting. And, and when people come in for my technique, yes, it is mind-blowing because they're like, first of all, what is this little pogo stick thing you're using? That's how they describe it. And then they are not used to it because there's an assessment scan that goes with this particular technique. So they're laying face down the whole time. All they know is their knees are being bent. I have dust some dirt off their shoulders. And then I have thumped them with this tool. That's how they describe it when they like, well, what happened? All I know is she dusts me. I stood up. I could walk. I don't know what she did. <laughs> <laughs> Out of curiosity, is are these other techniques, things that you learn in chiropractic school or, or you learn the, the, the popping and the cracking and then everything else you got to learn on your own? And so, no, they are considered electives. Certain schools have like maybe their top three that you definitely have to learn. So, for example, I went to Logan Basic, Logan College of Chiropractic, but it's now called Logan University. It is so important. The number one lesson I learned in chiropractic school was make sure you research the name of something. What, how was something named? People forget all about the naming system and how important names are. But I was excited because Logan was in my town. I'm from St. Louis. So Logan was in Chesterfield, just a 35, 40 minute drive, depending on if I'm doing speed limits, 40 minute drive down to, down to the school. So I was like, yeah, I'll go there. It's right here. I can stay at home. Uh, I didn't do enough research. See, Logan comes from, it was founded on the technique called Logan Basic Technique. And in this particular technique, I call this my big joker if I'm playing spades. I am taking every book with this particular technique because all I have to do is hook my thumb underneath a specific ligament and I can adjust you from head to toe and I'm put applying the pressure, amount of pressure that you can put on your eyeball and I can line up every joint with that ligament. And all you do is lay there. We can talk, have a conversation, go to sleep and meditate. It doesn't even matter. But by the time you get up off that table, you are feeling a lot better than when you got down. Huh. And, and there's no popping and cracking? Nothing. No. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I, I had no clue. I, I, interesting. It does, I'm really glad that I get to speak to you today, Dr. Peebles. Yes, I'm excited too. <laughs> but you know, I, I also mentioned in the in the intro that you wrote a you wrote a book and it had a pretty interesting title. So uh, I'm kind of curious where did the I guess the motivation for writing the book come from and what do you hope people take away from it? 
I am always remembering that I'm a teacher. Yes, I'm a doctor, but if you check the definition of a doctor, you are a teacher. And so my goal at the time of writing the book was, I really want to continue teaching people about chiropractic. They don't know what it is we do. They don't know how we can benefit them. They don't know. So how can I teach them? Well, when things are marketed to people, it's typically marketed in three categories. Money, drugs, sex. Money, drugs, and sex. Well, I can't come to you from the angle of money because you already think we cost too much. So you don't want to have that conversation. I can't talk to you from the angle of drugs. I don't prescribe drugs. We're a profession that do not prescribe medication. So who's not concerned about their sex, their performance, their libido, their happiness, how, how things are going? Everybody. But I use what you recognize, which is sex, pull you in and teach you something new. And so in the book, I'm actually teaching you how chiropractic impacts the sexual reproductive system. So I'm addressing topics such as menstrual cycles, miscarriages, pregnancies, erectile dysfunction, injuries that are attained during sexual things, as well as injuries occur from trying to be sexy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm trying to get my groove back. I need to get back. I need to talk to Dr. Dr. Peebles. Help me out. I'm telling you, they do. Yeah. And yeah. they come back and they say, Dr. Peebles, my sex life is so great. I was like, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, you and you and me and Stella, we both got to get our groove back. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you know, you know uh, Dr. Peebles, the, the whole point of this of this podcast, when I put it together, was to speak to people who come from the STEM fields, you know, science and engineering type of backgrounds, because we're not typically known as the type of people that get up in front of people and do well in communicating whatever we need to talk about. And I know that for myself, that was a, a struggle when I first had to start giving presentations in front of people. But I'm, I'm, I got better at it over time because I saw the benefit of it. But I'm, I'm curious, for, with, with yourself, when did you see that speaking in front of people could be of benefit to you? From early age, actually. So if you can't tell, I'm very animated. I love the idea of being on stage. I love performing. I love being in plays. I love speaking. I, I love interacting with the audience. But when I was able to connect the two and find a way to engage you and keep you interested in what I'm talking about, oh, it just took off. And so now... When it comes to speaking, yes, I do motivational speeches, but I am passionate about speaking about chiropractic because now I can bring it to you where you are, bring it to a level where you are. And I've always had a gift of taking complex ideas and making it simple enough for you to understand it and build you up to where you need to be. Just as a teacher, I've, I've ran from my ability to teach for many years until I said, you know what? Okay, fine, fine. Finally, oh, you know what? You're right, God, I'm a teacher. Because I was like, no, I'm not a teacher, I'm a doctor. He was like, didn't I say you are a teacher? So I've been teaching since I was in middle school, teaching, preparing people for tests is always in me. So once I accept it and connected the two, it's just, just flourishing. You know, it makes sense for you to say that doctors should be teachers and 
the, when I when I think about it, if you're a doctor and you're telling somebody that they have something, it's really helpful for you to tell them why they have that particular something. It's not just you. You have cancer. It's like what, 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 what the hell do you mean I have cancer? <laughs> it's like what? because you have these particular cells in, in this part of your body and they're spreading to this particular place, and we need to stop the spreading and and that that type of thing. You know, actually explain what's going on to people as opposed to just giving them this diagnosis and saying, we need, we need to have surgery in a few months. You know, let's, let's, let's put it on the calendar. I, I, I fully believe that doctors should be teachers. So I'm glad that you're of that same mind as well. You know, Dr. Peoples, when it comes to, to giving presentations, well, when it comes to you giving your presentations, you did mention that you're a motivational speaker. Is there a certain, I guess, topic that you have when you give your, your speeches? And, and then, so what is it? I am big on motivating them to trust themselves. So I also taught math. I only recently have come out of the classroom within the past six to 10 months or so, but I had been in the classroom teaching math. And I explained to my students where I'm always motivating them. It's not so much, can you do the math? The problem is, do you trust yourself to do the math? And so I'm always motivating people to trust themselves and understand that you know what you know. This is how it looks. Okay, it's the exact same thing. It's just that the person over in Europe decided he wanted to call it this. And over in America, she wanted to call it this. You know what you know. So my biggest motivational or most common motivational speech is trusting yourself. Hmm. Yeah, that... That, that certainly makes sense. And, and I think you're absolutely right, especially when it comes to math. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole thing about math phobia, people just thinking I'm, I'm not good at it. But if you keep telling yourself you're not good at something, then you likely won't be good at it. You so, won't be good. <laughs> so it's yes. like, very helpful to you know, tell yourself, I can learn this just as much as, as anyone else can, especially if learning the math is, is, is useful or, or instrumental and you going on to whatever you want to go on to. You certainly need math if you want to be a neurosurgeon, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I tell them, math is easy. Art is hard, and they look at me crazy. And so I tell them, math is just a bunch of steps. Learn the steps. Learn the order in which the steps, and then you can reproduce the re recipe. But you got to trust that you remember the steps in the right order. And if you don't trust yourself, especially the nurses I've worked with or the the respiratory therapists, the different fields with, uh, I've worked with them in the classrooms and I tell them, if you don't trust yourself, why would I trust you? So you, you can't sell what you, if you can't sell it to yourself, don't try to sell it to me. I don't want it. So I need you to learn to trust yourself and trust that you know what you know, and then build off of that. Yeah, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And you're, you're absolutely right. You need to trust yourself before you expect others to trust you. That, that'd be pretty as, as a, that would be an unreasonable expectation to expect others to trust you before you even trust yourself. So yeah, absolutely. Well, when it comes to the, the presentations that you do, Dr. Peebles, do you have a process for putting them together? And if so, what is it? So my process generally is one, get a great opener where I get you relaxed, I get you laughing, and then I tell you what I'm there to do, and then I do it. I always say, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to do it. But all of my presentations have a hands-on interactive component, component. You do not get to just sit and watch me speak. No, you do not. You get to get up and participate. And so I've 
I'm always engaging the audience on different levels. Yes, there are people who just listen and they learn. And then there are those who need some animation, some kind of movement with it. I'm known to come in dancing. I'm known to do different things to entertain you as well as educate you. Oh, okay, yeah, that that that'd be that'd be an interesting sight. You know, this woman is coming near dancing. It's like, hey, okay, this is gonna be a party, all right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and they never, and it surprises them because you you hear now we're bringing Dr. Peebles to the stage, and you're like, okay, this is Dr. Peebles, and I am just in here coming in with jokes and all kinds of stuff. Keep it light. Right. Yeah. I, I suppose you wouldn't really expect to hear that from someone with doctor before their name. So it actually might, it might be, what's the word I'm looking for? Refreshing. Because yes. I think when a, a doctor is talking, it's going to be very staid, very professional, you know, very serious. But yeah, you're right. If you, if you keep it light, I think that could be really helpful in just keeping people's attention for sure. Especially if it's a, if it's a serious topic. I mean, th those those type of topics can be kind of boring at times, but if I like that, keeping it light and and, and right. dancing if you have the rhythm. <laughs> right. If, you know, it depends on what kind of entertainment you're doing. I don't know, but yes, I keep it light. I keep it entertained, but I'm always uh, the other component that I do is always give them relatable analogies. One of the things is I I tend to get you to be introspective. One of the jokes I used to tell my, one of the things, concepts I used to press upon my students were, especially the ones who didn't like math. And he's like, I hate math. I hate math. I said, well, do you know what a habitual liar is? And I said, yeah, I know what a habitual liar is. I said, well, what do, what do they do? They lie. I said, but what also do they do? Things like they believe they lie. I said, okay, good. Follow me here. Follow me. I want you to tell yourself, I love math. It takes 21 days to create a new habit, right? So for the next 21 days straight, five days a week, five times a day, I want you to tell yourself, I love math. And they'll fall out laughing. Why would I do that? I said, I need you to lie to yourself about loving math. One, because you pay for it, but you find it easier to lie about that relationship you're in. So, hey, choose your poison. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's working out for you? Go ahead and lie about that laugh. That math, okay? <laughs> I love math. You love that man. I love that math. Okay, we can make it work. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I think maybe the math, depending on the relationship, that math might be taking a little further in life. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit further. I don't know. It just seems promising from this yeah. perspective. <laughs> and so they remember that, but it makes them think about some things like, okay, look, let me get serious about this. I can change my mindset and I work on them. So I spend the first half of a semester anyway teaching them to change their mindset. Wow, that's so. Well, it, it's unfortunate that it has to happen, but at least there's someone like you that's willing to to make that happen because you can go through your whole life, you know, telling yourself that you dislike math, and it's just it's not helpful to dislike math. It's all around us. So when it comes to giving presentations, do you ever get nervous before them? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? Oh, I absolutely get nervous, and I'm just. I'm, I'm doing breathing techniques and then I'm encouraging myself. One of my favorite gospel songs is encourage yourself. And so when I'm extremely nervous because I know I'm getting ready to try something unorthodox in this particular presentation, but I'm certain that this is necessary in this particular presentation, then I will go and sit down in a corner. I will quiet myself. I will breathe and I will listen to this song. 
and and just remind myself I got this. Yeah, that, that, that certainly is helpful. I, I've certainly heard about people listening to their favorite music and that helps to calm them. And, and certainly breathing helps to calm them too. You don't want to get up in front of people with shallow breaths. You may very well pass out. You, you definitely need to- Very much. You, you definitely <laughs> need to breathe for, and, that's, and that's a fact. So for the people who are listening and or watching Dr. Peebles, what would be your number one tip that you would give them if they want to become more effective at public speaking? Practice your pauses. Practice your pauses. The pause in your presentation could, one, give you a chance to settle your nerves and breathe. Your pause could help you recall your next uh, point. It helps you give dramatic effect. It does a lot to practice your pause. So there have been times I've paused and people were thinking, oh my goodness, what is she going to say next? And I was like, what was the next thing in my speech? <laughs> <laughs> but I try to do a pose with that pause. Like, <laughs> yes. Now, and then keep it. So people, you can hide behind your pauses <laughs> and get yourself together. <laughs> yep. 100%. I've done that so many times. They think it's something so monumentous is coming, but it's not not me. (laughs) I just forgot where I was. That's exactly it. You know, another 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 thing about pausing is I think people when they when they think of pausing, they 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 don't want to do it because they they think it's some sort of, of of an issue. And instead of pausing, they'll put in filler words. Like, um, you know, so, but people are so distracted by that. I'll tell you a little story, Dr. Peebles. So I have a mother. Well, we all have a mother, but my mother, she listens to my, she listens to my podcast. And one time she called me after one of them. And she said that at the beginning she was listening, but she had to stop because, you know, I, I typically do interviews like this one because she said the guest used so many filler words. It was so distracting to her that she just couldn't get past it. And she just stopped listening to the interview. But I highly doubt that she would have stopped listening if he, he would have paused instead. I mean, just like you said, the pausing could very well be seen as what, what intrigue. What is this person going to say next? And, and I, 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 firmly, I firmly believe that pausing is way better than using those filler words. So I always suggest when people are tempted to use those type of filler words, perhaps a pause instead might be more appropriate. So I, I firmly believe in what you're saying. So again, I, I'm a big fan of the pauses. This has been great, Dr. Peebles. Thank you so much for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? They can reach me through my website, which is www.stlprohealth.com. You can send me an email to drdannyp at yahoo.com. And Dr. Danny P is spelled D-R-D-A-N-N-I. P, as in my last name, at yahoo.com, or you can give me a good old-fashioned phone call at area code 314-607-9150. Okay, wonderful. And if you're interested to see a different variation of treatment, I do have a video on my website that allows you to see me using the technique with the quote-unquote pogo stick, as people call it as well as the Logan basic technique that I do in my office. So if there's a 
an alternative you want to see to manual adjusting, it is there. Wonderful. And there'll be no popping, no locking, unless you want to, unless, unless I'm want, dancing. Unless you want to watch Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, I guess. Right? <laughs> well, this has been great talking to you, Dr. Peebles. Again, everyone, this is the end of another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. And you can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Dr. Peebles. Thank you. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.